Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today our big topic is going to be the NHL trade deadline 2021. But before that, we're going to talk a little bit about some hockey cards. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the new Mighty Ducks Game Changers Disney Plus streaming series that is ongoing. So, Tim, how are you doing right now? I'm doing all right. I was feeling a little under the weather the last few days. Got my shot on Monday. And of course, my kids got me sick. And I probably wouldn't have normally got sick, but you know how the whole immune system works. And you your body's trying to attack the antibodies going to the shot location and failed to uh, address all of the other gunk issues. So I'm starting well, to feel better. So that's good. As long as you brought it up, did, which shot did you get? The Pfizer, the Moderna, or the Johnson & Johnson? I got J&J. The J&J. Oh, one yes. and done. Yes. I got nice. J&J because any of the other ones, when I tried to sign up for them, they put me months out in order to get them. And everybody around me was like, huh, I signed up this morning and my appointments this afternoon. And I'm like, how the hell is that happening? When I signed up, like as soon as the thing went live and it gave me like end of May. So I had been looking for a different time and they're like, if you want the Johnson and Johnson, go to the health department, they'll give it to you. So I was like, nice. all right, cool. So that's what I did. And did you, were you like sick for a couple of days after that? Not because of that. Ah, okay. Just my arm hurt. That was it. I got, like I said, I got sick because my uh, youngest son was feeling under the weather and I got exactly what he had. When I got my second shot of the Moderna vaccine, I was sick for about two days. I got it on a Thursday and by Thursday evening, I started to feel kind of fluish. Friday morning, my arm was in like a lot of pain and I had like a headache and I had like body aches and I had like muscle aches and like I pretty much stayed in bed the whole time. And then like Saturday was like the same thing. And then I started to feel better. So, I mean, yeah, everybody has a different reaction, but uh, you know, it's cool to hear that you got the shot and that people are getting vaccinated and uh, a little bit of side news that I'll just bring up right now, the Chicago sports spectacular that was scheduled for June 4th through 6th has been canceled because it's happening in the state of Illinois. It's actually happening in the suburb of Rosemont, which borders Chicago. And they basically said, even though Chicago, or excuse me, Illinois is rolling back some of its, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Their um, policies not, towards COVID? Their policies, right? Their social gathering policies. And you know now you're having restaurants opening at 25% capacity, 50% capacity in the state of Illinois. They're like, there's just no way that we're going to be able to have a gathering with thousands of people at a convention center. Now, the Chicago Sports Spectaculars usually second only to the national in size. I mean, it's a big show and you get a lot of people. And I can imagine there being a lot of people going to that with the recent surge in the popularity of sports cards again. But what this gives me hope for you hearing that you got the the vaccine and other people that I know got the vaccine is that the national, which is also scheduled for uh, Chicago at the end of July. I'm just hoping that that happens here. Like really hoping. I haven't heard an update on that. The last thing I heard was, yep, we're doing it. And then haven't heard a thing since. And hearing that they're pulling back on the, sports spectacular 
didn't give me a lot of hope. Let's put it that way. But well, but there's keep in a lot mind of... that's a lot earlier. Yeah, and we're talking the end of July, beginning of August. So, you know, who knows? Maybe things will pep up. I don't know how soon they have to have to uh, make the announcement of yay or nay, but I imagine it's going to have to be soon. I, I, you know, I don't know because I know that like people like they canceled the 2020 show and they gave people, excuse me, they gave the vendors the option of getting a full refund or of applying that towards their booth space in Chicago, because you have some vendors that only do Chicago. You have some vendors that do the not Chicago shows. And then you have some vendors that do the national everywhere. So I honestly don't know. Well, we'll see. I'm looking forward to it if we have it, but if we don't, I understand. So I want to just give a quick update about Tops Now hockey stickers because I'm a glutton for punishment. So I believe the last ones we mentioned was week 10, uh, which sold 399 packs. And the, the big sticker in that was Alex Ovechkin. Week 11 sold 369 packs, the big notable sticker in that pack being Sidney Crosby. And week 12 sold 477 packs. Now, here's the funny thing about this. Why do you think week 12 sold more than 100 packs in week 11 to go from 369 to 477? From You're saying from last week to this week? or Yeah, from well, this week is now week 13. So from week, so two weeks ago to last week. I'm going to guess just by trends, there's got to be some rookie included in there somewhere. You would think so. But the reason why week 12 sold over 100 packs more than week 11 is I have no freaking idea. Because all nine <laughs> stickers for week 12 are listed as TBD, TBD, TBD. So basically, 477 packs of stickers sold, and they haven't listed what they are. And they haven't been on sale for uh, a few days now. They stop selling them every Thursday, and then they start the next pack Thursday. Thursday to Thursdays when they sell. So I can't understand how 500 packs of something, and they all say TBD sold. How, how that sells almost 500 packs. It's just ridiculous. That's interesting. Yeah. If anything, it's it could I'm be... I'm thinking, A, somebody somewhere knows what those are, or B, people are banking on something that they have no clue about. It's got to be one or the other. <laughs> I, I Yeah. I mean, it could just be that people are, um, are, are just saying, oh, well, this happened during that week, so maybe this person will have a sticker. Yeah. To me, it's just ridiculous. Like, at least a year ago, Tops Now was like, well, okay, and, you know, the week three stickers are for sale, and the first sticker is going to be Patrick Kane, and the second sticker is going to be Sidney Crosby, and then the other seven, you know, throughout the week, you know, something would happen, you know, Patrick Marlowe would set some sort of a record, they'd make a sticker of him, some goalie would have a shutout, they'd say, okay, he's going to be in the sticker pack too. So, like, as the week progressed, they would kind of build out the pack. So if you were kind of on the fence, if you were just kind of someone who only bought bought them here and there you might see that like you know a, the day before they might say oh cool they're gonna put in you know there's gonna be three penguins in this pack i'm buying it you know what i mean or oh there's gonna be my favorite player in this pack i'm gonna buy it but now it's just like tbd tbd so i, I just find it hilarious that's all yeah i still go back to the there's got to be a rookie in there because that seems to be what's driving everything now is 
slapping the rookies on stuff because everybody wants to be the first that oh there hasn't been one of these yet or hasn't been one of these yet so well that's that's a good segue because i wanted to bring up uh game dated moments more moments more problems as they say right well you know with game dated moments and with upper deck they're at least giving people plenty of warning ahead of time of when these come out and for the most part they come out on fridays but unless you're quick on the draw Every time these hit and there is another young player or a rookie included in the game day mode, which there have been for the last few weeks, those get snatched up like so quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of these hit, I think they advertise that these come up about 9 a.m. Pacific time. Yeah. So it's 11 o'clock where I am. And I maybe will double check uh, 10 after, 15 after max and the last couple weeks they've mostly been gone already mm-hmm. if you look at this week's for instance the uh, release for game day moments was cards 33 through 35 uh, brent burns was 33 uh, mark giordano was 35 and because um, he got his 500th 500th what point 500th career point very nice yeah and the brent burns one was he became the 19th defenseman in history with at least 200 goals and 500 assists. Nice. But card 34 was Vitaly Kraftsov, making his highly anticipated NHL debut for the Rangers on April 3rd. So, yeah, he's been over in Russia this whole time. They brought him over finally, built him up, finally got him in the lineup. So, Upper deck, put him on a card. Boom, that thing's gone instantly, <laughs> practically. So uh, I don't know if it's the fact that he's you know on Broadway and has a lot more attention and eyeballs on him, or if it's just another example of you know what's been going on across the board. Definitely but both, because yeah. if he was in Winnipeg, I don't know if it would have sold that fast. Yeah, maybe not. But if you go back, you know, to the previous releases, like. You know, go back to last month. You know, the Keith Yandel one, huge accomplishment. That that card sat around forever mm-hmm. um, until it was finally gone. The Getzloff one, his 700th assist, that card sat around forever. But the or the Joe Thornton one, even that one sat around forever. The Kaprizov one that came out on like March 12th, that was gone pretty much instantaneously. The Kevin Lankin in one that came out on the 25th. That was gone, like, quick. Um, so all the rookies are getting snatched up fairly quickly. Um, same thing happens with the Alexander Romanoff one that came out as part of the January grouping. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I get it. I mean, it is what it is, but it's just funny to see how this stuff is hitting and just gone. Like, here it is. If you're not instantly there and ready to go, if that's one that you want to pick up, you're out of luck. Because if you're trying to log on by 11.30 or 9.30 Pacific time, ah, chances are those might not be there. Veteran players seem to stick around for a few days. But uh, it's the young guys and the rookies. You're getting snatched up quick. So So I think what's even more amazing about that is that these are $3.99 per card. You mean what's more amazing is the fact that people are buying them on a piecemeal basis? Because 
three nine eighty nine a card would be on sale. They're five ninety nine. Oh, they're five ninety nine now. Yes, they've been five ninety nine yeah. for quite a while. Well, at the last um, time I bought one, it was three ninety nine, and that was David Ayers. So that's yeah, that was that was like ten years ago. I know pre COVID, yeah, pretty but, much. Uh, yeah, um, it was three ninety nine, and I think I bought one, and I think I bought like. I probably bought a pack of upper deck, but yeah, anyway, sorry. So they're, they're five ninety nine for a card and that, and then, and that's on top of, you have to buy at least one pack to unlock them. You used to, you don't anymore. Oh, okay. Well, they really got smart about that then. Well, not when they smart. had all, when they had all their problems about being able to log in, being able to add to your cart, all of that, uh, earlier in the season, that's when they eliminated all of that. So you can just buy now you can only buy, if you're going to buy a game dated moment pack, you can only buy that pack. You can go back in and buy other stuff, but you have to you have to check out with just that in your cart. One pack, or can you buy like ten packs at a time? Uh, you can buy the you can buy the limit of how many it allows. I think it's um, I think it's five five at a time. And can you buy all three packs? Like if there's you get all three cards, yeah, you can. Yeah, do all that. three cards, so you could buy five, five, and five for fifteen in one shot. I believe so. Okay. I haven't right. tried. I haven't tried that, but I know really? there's a lot of people that that are doing that kind of thing because. So you got you got multiple things going here. You got the people that are buying them and snatching them up to try to turn a profit. You got the people that are buying them for their personal collections. You got the people that are chasing the achievements for the gaming portion of EPAC um, and trying to get the you know all of them so they can get the achievement awards. And you got people chasing the gold variants, which come about one every five. So, in essence, if you bought all five, you should get one gold variant. I bought the Crosby one, uh, I don't know how many weeks ago it was, and I just so happened to get the gold variant in my pack. So, I was happy with that. But, I mean, there's there's a lot of, a lot of things at play when it comes to that, but just the fact that we go back to... This is a different way to collect. This isn't your traditional open a pack of cards. You have tangible cards in your hand. You can touch them. You can feel them. You can smell them. This isn't that. There isn't that aspect here. This is, I'm buying a digital pack online, paying them my PayPal or my credit card or whatever I have, clicking on a button. It's virtually giving me a pack. It's virtually opening the pack. And it's virtually putting it into my account. Now, eventually, I can say, hey, I want this card for real. And I can hit a button and have that real card sent to me. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, we're dealing with this whole different realm of, of collecting. And that's, you know, tops now and in the instant stuff. And with, you know, Panini's fresh off the line printing and Upper Decks game dated moments and with you know the program like leaf has with like the iLeaf and the new thing with ProSet where everything's this whole thing with print on demand and and now you know NFT stuff and everything else it's it's this progressive digital movement towards um, a new way to to collect cards so i think some of the things that we talked about in our last show about a lot of the traffic that the hobby is getting now from new collectors or uh, collectors returning to the hobby is being driven by that new way to collect mm-hmm. because I can honestly tell you, I never used to get any trade requests at all on EPAC ever. Like I'd get one, maybe a week, maybe mm-hmm. one. a week. Um, 
all I had to do was log in and mess around with my want list a little bit mm-hmm. and tag a few things, I might get 10 to 12 a day hmm. now of trade requests. And there's just so many people. And yeah, there's a few that are the same people over and over again, but a lot of it's like new people I've never seen before. And looking at some of the accounts that I'm getting trade requests from, they don't have a lot of um, trade rating mm-hmm. on the back end. So it's like they're obviously newer accounts and they haven't been around that long. I would guess maybe a year, two years max. And EPAC's been around for since 2015. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got a, a a product that's been out for quite a long time and it's just now... I don't want to say just now taking off, but it's getting a lot more traction now. Just funny how that happens, how that happened. Now, it's funny because like every couple of years or every decade or I don't know, whatever, not every decade, but there always seems to be something where I say, oh, that's that's too much. Like I look at this and I go five ninety nine for one card. Now, I mean, if it was like a third year Bobby Orr card, you'd be like, oh, six bucks for that. That's a steal, right? Because, you know, that's like an expensive card or if it was a second year Gretzky or whatever, right? Like, but for like a new card that they're printing thousands of, and I get it, it's print on demand and the less people that buy it, the less there will be. But like $6 for one brand new card just seems ridiculous to me. But then again, I remember 25-ish years ago when Be A Player came out and they were $5 a pack and every pack had one autograph. And I said, well, that's a lot of money and I'm just never going to buy it, right? Like, $5 was a lot of money back then. $5 then is worth like $10 now. Now, if you could buy a $10 pack of cards that guaranteed an autograph in it, you'd be like, hell yeah. But I think that like 25 years ago, I was just like, nah, that's too much. Even if it has an autograph, you know, like it felt like it was too much to me. So maybe in five or 10 years, I'm going to be like, oh, remember when brand new cards were only $5.99 each? (laughs) The good old days when they were affordable, right? Well, just like anything else, I mean, there's that, there's the risk and there's the gamble involved. If you're buying physical cards and you're buying, going and buying a box of cards, you're rolling the dice that you're going to get something that's worthwhile. Either A, you're a collector and you're looking for the stuff you collect, or B, you're looking to get your money back out of the box at least and be able to turn some stuff for future consideration, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're opening a pack and you're like, I might get this out of here. And you roll the dice and you open the pack and you get what you get. It's kind of the same thing with those game-dated moments, because even though you're only paying for the one card, okay, let's say, yeah, it's six bucks to get one of the game-dated moments. They're not all winners. It's obvious they're not all winners, because some of them sit for the whole length of time that they're available. And if they don't sell them all, well, they come down. They're not there forever. Mm -hmm. So Upper Deck pulls them. So you have a certain amount of time that you can get them, and once that time's up, that's the amount that they make. If they don't sell everything that they're making, well, then the print runs lower. These ones that are selling out, obviously they're selling the maximum amount that they're planned on making. So, for instance, you, you said uh, the last one you bought was the David Ayers one. Whether it was $3.99 or $5.99, that was considered a hit. I mean, there's the novelty of the guy and the whole story behind it. It was great. People jumped all over that thing. It still sells for 15 to 20 bucks in most cases when you see it sell. I'm talking the game data moment, not the young guy. That goes right. for a lot more. But you can find the game data moment and buy it right now for probably, you could probably still find it about 10 but a lot of the auctions and stuff that have closed on it have been between 15 and $20. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I should mean, get mine out of uh, it's still with Upper Deck. Have you ever had things shipped directly from Upper Deck? Uh, I did, spring? but this was this was pre-COVID, so um, I never had a problem with it. The last time around, I made the mistake of having everything sent to ComC, and ComC locks everything that you put in from EPAC puts it in a different category so if you try to ship it to you along with the rest of your stuff it gets separated and put into a different shipping category so um, well will it get shipped separate because i've had i've transferred things from epac to com c and then had it all shipped together yeah there was a time where that worked but it doesn't anymore interesting it, it basically you put it in your cart and it puts it into its own separate shipping category they may send it the same way but they put a separate shipping and they, you have to pay different for it because it's not considered part of the standard stuff. But uh, yeah, sending from Upper Deck, you know, they'll they'll send it to you directly. It's just like everything else, though. Every, shipping's delayed. So if you try to get stuff that's in your account right now, something like that, it's been made. So that game right. game moment exists because it's from, what was that, 1920. So those, those yeah. are all we made. If you try to ship yourself the last couple weeks worth of game dated moments, probably you won't be able to do that yet because they're, probably not physically in your account yet right 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 it takes them a little while to get all of that the logistics of all that done but i mean you see what i'm saying though but 399 then 599 now either way you know this is a 15 to 20 dollar card so you got your money there mm -hmm. but you could jump on places like com c which is the third party reseller for most of epac product you could pick up tons of the lesser desirable ones for less than a buck so here here you have people clearly taking a loss on these cards just because everybody you know that's how that works everybody's trying to undercut everybody else oh here's one for a dollar or i'm going to put mine at 99 cents and then i come along and oh, i'm going to put mine at 97 cents and so on and so forth yeah but on something that you spent 3.99 or 5.99 on i have a really hard time doing that it's all about bulk well you still spend six dollars on it I mean, is there a price break on? Pretty sure people are willing to take a loss on things if they can make it back on some other things. Uh, so if they're doing yeah, if they're know. doing transactions that are in the thousands, which there are plenty of people out there that that are between those two platforms, you may not even notice it. If it's me who, you know, used to sell on there a lot but cut way back on what was available and what I would try to flip. You buy a card for 50 cents, you sell it for 53 cents, you made three cents. Whoop-de-doo. Mm. But it's three cents. You sell 10 of them, you made 30 cents. You sell 100 of them, you made three bucks. So, it's you know, a lot it's... a work for three bucks. Well, is it? I mean, you don't have anything in your possession. You're just clicking a few buttons on online. So True. There's, there's not a whole lot involved with it. They're taking on all of that extra overhead by doing the work of storing it and keeping the info and all of that kind of thing. So, you know, that's the whole double-edged sword of that has become ComC. Yeah. Let's talk <laughs> about that actually, because um, you brought them up earlier and you're bringing them up now. And I wanted to talk a little bit about ComC because one ongoing storyline in the saga that is this podcast is that you still don't have any update on the status of the order that you... When did you ask them to ship it? When did you request shipping? November. 17th, November. I believe it was. Or and 12th, it is now... 12th. So now it's been all of January, all of February, all of March, 
we're halfway into April. That yeah, was halfway was, into November. It, so yeah, and it was scheduled for delivery uh, in February. Wow. And to me, that was that seemed ridiculous back then when you're like, yeah, I'm getting them shipped now, and I'll get them in February. Just like, whoa, all of November, all of your mid December, mid January. You know, three months later, you get your cards. Right. And you know. I'm not a denier of what's going on in the world by any means. I mean, I understand there's problems with the post office. There's problems with businesses. There's problems with staffing. There's problems with all sorts of stuff. But there has been these problems. And these problems have been ongoing since February and March of last year. Right. And they got really bad in April and May and through the summer and into the fall and into the winter. And, you know... Through all of that, companies have adapted and they've figured out ways to continue to get from point A to point B in their processes and still be able to keep the doors open and do what it is they need to do to take care of their customers, make money, and keep the doors open. And, you know, a lot of companies that couldn't keep up have disappeared. ComC is in a position where they have made more money like literally they've made they've become more profitable than they've ever been in the history of the company those aren't my words those are the words of their ceo and founder tim getch who finally did an interview and not that i'm against plugging everybody else's pods and everything else but sports card live did an interview with him and anybody that's ever watched sports card live, you know, they go live, they do, it's like an interview and it's interactive with the people that go on to their YouTube page at the time. And you can chat live and ask questions and everything else. So it's fairly interactive. Everybody's got their opinions of the host and, and how things work and all of that, but, and how the questions are asked and all of that. But needless to say, it's the first interview I've seen Tim do in a very long time. So I was interested to find out. Somebody pointed it out to me and said, hey, your favorite person is going on that show. You should check it out. So I did. Um, and wanted to hear like what he had to say. I wanted to hear if the questions that were going to be asked were difficult questions and see how he would answer them or even if he would answer them and just kind of get his take on the rage that has come from many, many collectors. And I'm not the only one. In fact, I'm fairly calm about the whole thing. I've had my moments, but it is what it is. And hopefully I get my card someday, but whatever. But yeah, that was one of the things he said. They're way more profitable than they've ever been in history. That was a direct quote from him. Here's the thing. I wasn't looking for all the answers to come out of that. But what led me down this path this time, and, and I had jumped down off of my, what do you call it? My bully pulpit when it came yeah. to chastising them and everything for a while and i happened to see a tweet by our good buddy ryan cracknell from uh from beckett who talked about he's been building a, a stack of cards on comp c for over a year and figured he was being patient and waiting for the normal you know quote unquote normal to eventually turn around and he was kind of shocked by the fact that his shipping options that were available were absolutely insane. Now, 
if you go and have things on comp C and you try to add them to your cart and go to the shipping options that are available, I mean, depending on how many cards you have, I mean, shipping options can be close to a thousand dollars to have them rush shipped or express shipped. That's pure insanity. Now that's not just the shipping cost. That's obviously the shipping and handling. So you see that S and H that's the handling portion of it because that's everything on the back end that has to be done in order to get your cards ready to be shipped. Okay. I get that, but a thousand dollars you've paid them. The transaction fees have already gone down. They're already collecting from having these things in inventory. There's service fees involved with getting cards on there. So money's changed hands on this already. So now there's an additional fee with prepping and getting everything ready. Well, anyway, so he had posted about that and people were like, just rush ship it. And you'll get your stuff quickly. Yeah, rush ship it for thousands of dollars. If I rush ship my order that was available, I would probably pay five times what it was worth just to get it rush shipped. Because I'm not like the big spender on there and I'm not buying, you know, Gordie Howe rookie cards on Com C. I'm buying set filler stuff. And, you know, scrub guns that I can use to fill my upper deck sets and, you know, penguin cards that fit in my team collections and fill holes in team sets that I haven't done. You know, I'm not pulling huge things off of there. So, you know, that set me down the whole path that, you know, these guys, they don't listen. I've exchanged numerous emails with them back and forth about customer service and, Why are they deflecting about what's going on and how come I can't get a straight answer and no one's acting on this and I just didn't get it. So hearing Tim go on the show and talk was, was very interesting. And I had posted on Twitter after I heard it, you know, some out of context highlights as I called them. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the big ones, I'm not in this for the money. That was one of the things he said. Their mission is to bring joy to people. Well, guess what? They're failing. And he admitted that because it's not fun when you buy stuff and you try to get it and you can't. He did. He did uh, admit that there could be uh, there could be chances that your cards will end up in purgatory somewhere. Those were his words in purgatory somewhere. Um, you know, he mentioned that there's they have so many customers, they can't scale to meet the demand. That was a direct quote as well. Now, again, you have to go back and listen to this and hear what's being talked about during that time. And, and I'm doing what the media does very well. I'm pulling statements and clips out of context here. But for the most part, they follow along a path of what was being said. And again, COVID hit us. The state shut down. We couldn't have people at work. We didn't anticipate. We didn't prepare. We don't know how to scale the business this size. These were recurring themes throughout the entire interview. And again, I respect the fact that he went on there and he tried to explain. And you can't keep everybody happy. I get it. You can't keep all the people happy. You can't even keep some of the people happy. In this case, I'm not sure who's happy other than the power sellers and the people that utilize ComC's eBay service. Because it, made, it was made abundantly clear that eBay orders are given the A number one priority. Well, that makes sense, though, 
Well, I mean, that makes sense. I you totally understand why, because with eBay, you got to ship things in a certain amount of time or that starts to bring down your seller rating. It's, no, I get it. I mean, you know, I get it. Well, like, that may very well be, but they consider an eBay order as a rushed order. No, and I and I but you you have to, though, like they would have to, because if they lose their eBay business, they're going to lose a lot of business. Let, let me put it to you this way. He even said that eBay is only a portion of their business and not the biggest portion of their business. So if you're taking a portion of your business that throughout this pandemic where you can't handle your regular business, and this was an added perk and an added service that was given to their clientele and their customers in order to give you another option. So an an extra added service. If you continually try to scale that up while you can't take care of your normal customers, your normal orders, and your normal inventory that's subject to your basic business plan, right? And you're only catering to those that take advantage of this service that on the back end of that service requires exactly what you're saying. They need to have faster shipping. They need to have that quicker transparency. They need to have this. They need to have that. Fine. But to scale up your service to a point where it surpasses the priority of what your business was founded upon and completely ignore your regular customers that could give two shits about eBay, that's a huge failure in my head. And I know I'm not the only one that that thinks that. So... Real quick, I logged into my ComC account just to see how long and how much it would cost to ship. Um, First of all, how many cards? Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up. So I have 39 cards, and these cards cost me $75.50. So $75 worth of cards for 39 cards. And so, um, because clearly I'm a high roller, right? You and I both, buddy. Well, no, actually, there's probably one or two cards in there that were probably of like the $20, $25 variety. And then the rest were like 50 cents to a dollar. Okay. So anyway, for 39 cards, I could select $4.99 economy shipping and have those delivered Monday, August 9th. So this Mm. is April, middle of May, middle of June, middle of July. So about four months from now. Mm. Or... I could do rushed delivery and get them by Saturday, May 8th for $23.99. So spending $24 to get $75 worth of cards shipped, which I actually am going to say is tempting now because there's a lot of cards I really want to have in hand. Not to flip, just because I want to have them because they're cards and I want to eventually have them in my collection. Um, So you'd be willing to pay a third of what you spent to acquire the cards in order to get them in your hands. Well, let me tell you what the last option is. Uh, Express. Express, yeah. Yeah, Express. And get this. Now, keep in mind, and Express, I would have them April 21st. Okay? so In theory. Keep in mind those dates are theory. Uh, Okay, in theory, right? But let's say that's a little over, that's about a week from now. We're just going to say it's a week from now, right? So we'll say April 21st. So we'll say we'll get them in, in, in a little over a week. And, and I will tell you, you won't, because on the interview, he, I, I said, all ex- just, just, he said all express is two weeks minimum. Okay. So, so. then it'd actually be two weeks. But all right. So, so two weeks. 
to get my $75.50 worth of cards sent to me, it would cost me $74.99. So double. So it double the cost of my order to get the cards in two weeks. Or if I want to wait about a month, I could get them for $24. Or if I want to wait four months, I can get them for $5. But something tells me that if I pick the $5 option, they're not going to gather up the order anytime soon. You know, they're basically putting it off. They'll put it off, what, two weeks before? They'll pull my cards two weeks before the ship date? Maybe. If they only focused on the internal orders, it would probably take them the better part of the next three to four months to get caught up on everything that was ordered up until I ended that sentence. If that gives you an idea of just the internal backlog that they face, that's kind of where they're at. So now throw in everything that we've just been talking about where eBay stuff gets a priority. Plus there's the other people that are asking for rushed. There's other people that are asking for express. So you have all of these factors that are all being rolled into that. And it's one giant mess. He said that he plans to be caught up by the end of the year. I don't buy it, but more power to him. I hope he is. I hope the whole company's they've bought a new facility, more square footage, a lot bigger. It's uh, better, better for them to process and go through, you know, filling orders and, and everything else. Uh, they brought out more employees, even though he admitted that when this whole thing started, they laid off a bunch of people because they didn't anticipate needing them, which I go back to this whole thing. Everyone anticipated that the hobby was going to blow up. Maybe not to the level that it's at. People were anticipating it. People have been talking about it for the last couple of years. For different reasons, though. But yeah. I mean, whether it's for different reasons or not, it, it is what it is. True. When you have national card shows and things that are getting national exposure in regular media and people that don't necessarily associate with the hobby jumping in and saying, guess what? Everybody needs to go into this hobby Mm -hmm. and they have, Oh, I don't know. Millions and millions of people that hang on every word they say, no matter what those words are, you're going to turn around and tell me that you're that tone deaf to the, socially what's going on around you to not be able to see holy crap the floodgates have been opened we better prepare ourselves because this is how society moves nowadays right if you weren't smart enough or had the had the foresight to be able to plan for that which no one expected a pandemic look i'm not i'm not blaming that that no one expected that all right everybody's dealing with that everybody's trying to figure it out But you work in an industry where if you're going to do something like this, you have to have some kind of business plan in the future for expansion. Right. What company starts a company and doesn't plan on what happens if we're successful? Right. Do you go into it thinking you're going to fail? Do you go into it thinking that you're going to scale to production and that's as far as you're going to get? You want to get bigger. You want to get better. You want to get, you know, make more money and, and become, you know, a viable piece. Right. This is the thing. I remember shows way back when, when ComC was just starting out. Mm-hmm. And Tim would go to these shows, and he would be at the ComC booth, and he would talk to absolutely everybody that would come up to the booth. He would talk to everyone. 
And I remember having conversations with the guy numerous times. Seemed like a great guy. And I believed in the whole process and what they were putting together. And I got into it early. I wasn't like a power seller or anything. But I would look on there all the time. And I'm like, this is great. This is a cool concept. I like this. And I'd pick up cards here and there. I'd sell a few here and there. And it was fun. It was like a fun extension of the hobby. And I've gone through many spurts of that. But I've always used it as something where I can, you know, stockpile. I'm going to get, you know, this card and this card and this card and this card. And I have this big stockpile and then I send it to myself. Because they're my cards and I bought them. Right? Never in my right mind did I ever think they were eventually going to be held hostage. For who knows how long. Right. And I'm glad you said hostage because I've been trying quite futilely, but I've been trying to get the hashtag COMC jail to trend on Twitter. Hashtag COMC jail. Like my cards are in COMC jail. Like I just bought a Chris Chelios card a couple months ago that I really wanted, but it's in COMC jail and I'm never going to get it unless I pay for express shipping. Hashtag right. COMC jail. Right. I mean, plenty of times I tweeted out, hey, this is what it would cost to ship me. Should I ship it yet? And people were like, oh, you're you're looking at the wrong thing. That can't cost that much. I'm like, yeah. Oh, how many cards do you have? Well, I have a thousand cards that I'm waiting to have shipped because I couldn't get them shipped when I wanted to because I used to do once every three or four months. Mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't. So they piled up and well, here we are. You know, they're supposedly making making changes necessary to try to get to where they need to be. And so I, I did get one thing out of it, though. Mm-hmm. And that was that. A suggestion was made from someone in the chat that why isn't there a place where you can go and find out information about, oh, I don't know where they are at with orders in the time frame. He's like, it's funny you mentioned that because they're planning on doing something. He's not sure when, but it's supposedly going to be coming out on the blog where they're going to tell, hey, this month or this week, we're on orders from this date to this date. Mm-hmm. So all of those should be going out by the end of the week. And then the next week, on this week, we're on orders from this date to this date. And I did find out that they're on orders from October right now. So... There's light at the end of the tunnel. They may get to November soon. (laughs) We're talking orders that were not express or rushed or anything like that. Right. And I'm assuming you did yours just uh, economy. Oh, of course. Because I'm Uh, not paying a third or half or double what I paid for the cards to get. Yeah. Because I'm just not. Because I'm a cheap ass. Call me what you want. I've been called worse. Trust me. I have an ex-wife. I get it. That's why we use a service like COMC instead of buying from 20 different sellers and paying shipping from 20 different people. Totally get it. So Mighty Ducks, the Mighty Ducks Game Breaker is the new TV series that's streaming on Disney+. Plus. This is a hockey, hockey collectibles and hockey culture podcast. So we would be remiss to not talk about the Mighty Ducks series, even if just briefly. I don't know if you've been watching the show or not. I have watched this much of it. Zero? Yes, because I wanted to watch it with the kids, and apparently they're watching it with someone else. So. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> so well, I, was, I was denied, and whatever. It is what it is. Well, you should watch it by yourself because, you no, know, and I get it, you have kids, and that's special to watch something with them. But what I'm saying is you 
if you watch it by yourself, then you can kind of watch it from like the perspective of a hockey fan or more of a, a critic and not like, oh, I'm watching with my kids and they loved it. So I love it too, even though it's garbage or whatever. Because, you know, we do that sort of thing. But I will say this. I have been watching it and I like it so far. And it's progressively gotten better from the first episode to the second episode to the third episode. My only com- real complaint about the first episode is that I said it felt a little slow, but I actually liked that. I like TV series where they, you know, you build the characters up and you build things versus a movie where you have to introduce everybody and kind of really establish who they are within like the first 30 minutes or so. So, well, and I guess here with the TV series, you you know, if you're doing 10 episodes and you look at that at like half an hour, so that's like maybe five hours of content. The first episode was a bit longer. It was like 44 minutes. Of course, like the last four minutes are credits because Disney Plus has to give you the credits and then they have to give you the credits in German and then they have to give you the credits for the Spanish language cast. And then they have oh, to give trust you, me. Trust you know, me, I know. I'm more than aware of that. I've watched a number of series on there that do they do the same thing. And I get excited because like when I'm watching The Mandalorian, I'll be like, yes, this episode is 55 minutes long. Can't wait. But then I realize like the last five minutes are credits. And then I feel like somehow I've been cheated out of a five extra minutes of Star Wars. You know what I mean? If it's just like, you know, here's the Italian language cast and the German language cast. Right. That's how um, I was with uh, WandaVision. It seems like okay, just, all right. just when I thought every episode was going to be good, like was getting good. It'd be over. And I'd be like, what the heck? And it's doing the same thing with Winter Soldier and Falcon, too. Yeah. Yeah. Winter Soldier, Captain America, recommended. Mighty Ducks Game Changers, also recommended. So getting back to my original point is um, it's slowly ramping up. It's getting better. I'm liking it. They're starting to develop the characters now a little at a time. And that's really fun. And... You know, the other thing I like, and this is going to sound really sappy, but there's such nice little flourishes. The the main character, uh, the mother, Alex, the one who starts the team for her son, she is just, like, such a nice mom. Like, she even, like, there's, like, there's, like, one part where, like, the the, one of the kids is so happy about something, he, like, dumps Gatorade on her because he's just like, well, that's what you're supposed to do, right? And, like, she just kind of, like, you know, rubs his head, like, oh, you, you know what I mean? Like, she's just... She's she doesn't understand all these hockey things like she buys a notebook with like hockey sticks on it. And she's like, this is my coach's notebook, you know, so I'm going to put all hockey things are going to go in this notebook. Right. And she's just so like happy and it's it feels real. You know what I mean? It feel, like she feels like a parent the way she's like nurturing these kids. And like she's saying like, well, yeah, we're losing, but you guys are you're building friendships and having fun. And isn't that what youth sports are about? But then the kids kind of push back a little and they say, yeah, but getting your ass kicked by 12 goals is is when it stops being fun. 12 goals. Oh, was that a spoiler? I think so. The team that they start in this is called the Don't Bothers. Yeah, which I think is a dumb name, but whatever. Because that's what that's what the coach of the Mighty Ducks tells Evan when he cuts him. He said, well, if you're not good at hockey at this point, don't bother. Like, if you're not good by 12, don't bother. And so the mother is like, well what the heck, you know, none of these kids are going to make the NHL. But another interesting thing is we do learn, and this is not a spoiler, very minor spoiler, but you would need to know why Gordon Bombay 
doesn't like hockey. And I'm not going to say why. But the reason that they explain, you go, oh, yeah, that actually kind of makes sense. I could see how he would be bitter about that. Why he would be bitter and feel like hockey had let him down. And then why he would now have no interest in being a coach or being involved in hockey. You don't have anything to say to that. You're not watching the show. Yeah, I mean, well, there's seven episodes left. I mean, they had to introduce that part of it at some point. Well, yeah, and originally I was a little bit of a hater because, like, I, you know, I brought up like Star Wars episode seven and eight, where like Luke Skywalker is like this like hermit now living on the planet by himself, and he doesn't want anything to do with the Force or training Jedi's or whatever. And we're all like, ooh. Why was Luke hiding? Why does Luke not want to use the Force? Why does Luke not want to train Rey as a Jedi? You know, like, I get so tired of these mysteries. Like, remember that guy who loved ice cream? Well, now, 30 years later, he hates ice cream. And we don't know why. And maybe the, maybe they'll tell us why. And, and they're going to slowly tease out over time what happened, right? You've, and it's you've just, just like, described every clickbait tweet on Twitter that's been posted for the last five years yeah pretty much (laughs) to me it seems like a plot contrivance like you have this person who loves this thing and now they hate this thing and we have to wait to learn why but like when i learned why gordon bombay hates hockey now i'm like yeah okay i could see that i could see his reason and the other thing that i thought was a little interesting was that they further developed the character of coach t which is the coach of the ducks who's uh, played by Dylan Playfair, the son of um, Jim Playfair, former Blackhawk. And he's also on Letterkenny. He was a regular on that show. I've never watched Letterkenny, which I'm embarrassed, but I have to like subscribe to some streaming service that I don't want or don't care, like Hulu or Crackle or some BS that I just don't want to pay for. So I have Hulu as part of the Disney package. Oh, really? I'm going to look into that then. Yeah, if you get the Disney Plus package, you get Hulu and ESPN Plus come with it. Yeah, all right. I'm going to look into that then. But anyway, he starts to become a little bit like Coach Riley from the original Ducks movie, whereas like where winning isn't good enough for him. He's kind of like a polar opposite of like, if you think of the original films where Gordon Bombay was like the reluctant coach, but then he wanted the kids to have fun. And then Riley was only focused on win, win, win. If you can't, if you can't, what did he say? If you can't win big, don't bother. And Coach T is a little, well, he's a lot like that too. So towards the end of the third episode, you see him get really upset over something that most coaches wouldn't get upset about. I mean, it wasn't like anything like really disturbing because it's still like a show appropriate for kids. But you're just like, wow, I don't know if I want to be on your team now because you're kind of not a very fun coach. Of course, if I was playing youth sports, I'd be all about the pizza parties and less about like the extra practices and stuff, because kind of that's where my mind is. I mean, if it's not fun, that's what I always tell my kids. I mean, you can be on, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of highly competitive travel teams in various sports in this area. You can be on any one of them if you want, but they'd rather have fun. Right. I like that. So, not that winning's not fun. I mean, of course it is. But, you know, they have no aspirations to be professional sports people. So, at least so, in that capacity. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So fun it is. 
And if they're having fun, I'm having fun. So anyways, I'll uh, I'll try to talk about Game Breakers a little each week, just because, like I said, this is a hockey, hockey collectibles, and also hockey culture when when the spirit moves us. I mean, there hasn't been a, a Most Valuable Primate sequel to talk about, so we'll just have to settle for the Ducks. I hear it's in the works, though. Really? Yeah, wouldn't have surprised me. Well, I mean, I think after Goon 2, they need to really take a step back from hockey movies because... I was so disappointed by Goon 2. Like, I knew that I knew that Slapshot 2 was going to suck, but Goon 2, I had, like, such high hopes for, and then I was just, when I finally saw it, I was just like, oh. Yeah, I hear they're going to uh, redo the, uh, the uh, Most Valuable Primate. It's going to be uh, MVP Part 2, and it's going to be uh, directed by Tim Burton, so... He's going to be bringing in all of the same technology and and uh, costume design and everything that he did when he rebooted Planet of the Apes. So. You're you're kidding. Yes, I'm kidding. Okay, well, because I was going to say, <laughs> of course, I'm little... kidding. That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Tim Burton doesn't surprise me anymore. It wouldn't surprise me if he wanted to do a Disney-type animal movie because he's done everything at this point, you know, so why not? Maybe we should do it. Do an MVP sequel? Yeah. We'll use a different animal, though. Because hmm. I think apes are expensive to rent. We should use a pig. Then it could still be MVP, but it'd be most valuable pig. That might work. Or a oh. And I'm going to segue into the uh, Chicago Blackhawks buying the Rockford Icehawks, which I know is old news, but I got to bring it up because I'm a Blackhawks fan. And I think that's actually kind of cool because when you have an NHL team owning the AHL team that it's affiliated with, that brings a lot more stability to that AHL team. So I think that's a good thing versus like you look at like we've had situations where we've had 29 AHL teams and. 30 NHL teams in the past. And even like this year, there's not enough AHL teams because like, for instance, the Milwaukee Admirals aren't playing. So a lot of their guys went to the Chicago Wolves who have been kicking butt because they have the best that Nashville has to offer and the best that Carolina has to offer. So I know I think it's cool. Uh, Chicago's had a good thing going with Rockford. I mean, I remember like, Chicago fans kind of saying, oh, I heard a rumor that the Blackhawks are going to buy the Chicago Wolves. And I knew that was never going to happen in a million years because they're their competition. And even though it would make sense for them to buy them and you look at like how that worked out in Toronto where the Maple Leafs and the Marlies both play in Toronto and they're owned by the Maple Leafs. And then you have the San Jose Sharks and the San Jose Barracuda, singular Barracuda, not plural Barracudas, which sound a lot cooler, but owned by the Sharks. And they play at the same rink, and you would think that, hey, maybe this would work in Chicago, but it wouldn't because, well, one, they couldn't really play at the same rink because the Bulls also play at the United Center, and then they just have tons of concerts there. So there's no way they'd be able to, like, also bring in a minor league team there. And also because the Chicago Wolves are, like, very successful at what they've been doing. I mean, they've been doing it for 25 years. So Rockford is, like, far enough away that it's outside of Chicago's territory, but close enough that they could get a guy in a couple hours if they need him to, for a call up. Do they own the fuel too or no? The Indy fuel? I don't think so, 
but okay. uh, that is their affiliate. That's their uh, their their double A affiliate. The ECHL team. Or, yeah, the ECHL team, right? Yeah, I didn't know if they owned them too, or if that was part of the deal, or or what. I I don't know if it's worth it for an NHL team to own an ECHL team because those are really hard to make money on. Because you got to be in a market far away enough from a big city that people will want to come to your games. But at the same time, you have to have enough interest in hockey. You know what I mean? Like, so it's just, it's kind of a tough nut, you know, a a tough nut to crack. Um, Yeah. I didn't think any NHL teams owned, owned their ECHL affiliates. I mean, I, I know there's a ton that own the AHL teams. Well, anyway, so I just I just think that's interesting. So let's talk about what we promised at the top of the show that we were going to talk about, and that was the NHL trade deadline. This is probably the second time in the season where NHL general managers lose their minds. The first being the first day of free agency, when you go, oh my God, have these general managers lost their mind? And then you look at these trade deadline days and you go, oh, my God, have these general managers lost their minds? Although not all these trades are head scratchers. Some of them make a lot of sense. And and then you have Anthony Manta. Yeah, I was going to say Jim Rutherford's not currently employed. So there haven't there weren't that many crazy ones this time around. Mm-hmm. So but yeah, there were some. And and how about that Manta trade? That was it came in after the fact. So most of the coverage had already ended and this was like trickling in the hour after you know the old witching hour where as long as everybody got their their thing into central office by the deadline Mm -hmm. then it would get recorded after the fact and then it would slowly leak out well that was this was one of the after the fact Mm -hmm. um trades that went down and wow i don't understand it i don't understand why the washington Capitals seem to think anthony mantha is worth sacrificing four players in order well, to get two players and two picks. Do you want to just re- real quick say who they got, who they gave? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, you got, you got Jacob Vrana and you got Richard Ponick as your players. Now they also got a first rounder and a second rounder. So, so the Steve Eiserman looking like a genius right now, basically. Hmm. I mean, Steve Eiserman to pull off this deal where he gets two players that he can put into his lineup right now, fairly decent players, and two picks in the top two rounds to add to future consideration for Anthony Manta, who has had all the potential in the world and just hasn't it just hasn't connected, I guess. I would make that trade for maybe without the first round pick. Like if you said those two players in a second rounder for Anthony Manta, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I could see that. But to get the first round pick also, it's just like, whoa, the Caps are really high on this guy. They really think that they can win now if they're like basically saying, yep, we're all in. And this is one of those pieces that we need. Well, and here's the thing. It's this year's first round pick. So, I mean, I don't know how up you are on potential draft picks and who's going to go in this upcoming draft. But they're saying it's not as strong of a draft class this time around. Okay. So maybe that's the whole reasoning behind it. Because I'm going to look, you're a Washington Capitals. You're a contender for playoffs, you know, as long as they keep heading down that path. So 
you got to figure your first round pick is not going to be in the lottery area, right? Especially with the lottery rules changing and everything right, else. Right, right, right. There's not 60 teams going into the lottery. So, but still, it's a first round pick. I mean, you start getting rid of first round picks, and then eventually you don't have any picks and you're stuck. So, a draft will roll around and you may not have a pick until the third or fourth round, like the Penguins have had numerous times. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what do you do? How do you build your future? based off of prospects that you don't have access to. You'd end up having to make other trades and try to bring those draft picks back into the system. So having a stockpile of draft picks this year, next year, the following year, you know, Eiserman does, he's no slouch. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to run a team. He knows how to build. And it just, it, it shocks me. Just Washington is only a couple years removed from a Stanley cup. And here they are. So, you know, dropping what? two forwards and two first round picks for Anthony Mantha. There's a couple of interesting just observations I want to talk about. And we're going to talk about more of these trades, but just to kind of set these things up. So we have such a different structure this year because of COVID and with these four divisions that are more regional based and these teams playing each other, you know, eight times a year or nine or 10 times a year in the Canadian division. So a couple of things that I think are really interesting is that you just have the top four teams going into the playoffs. So there's no hocus pocus, you know what I mean? Like with the wild cards and all that stuff, like here, it's just basically the top four teams. And I like that. You have your top four teams. You have your teams that are at the top of their divisions, the one or two teams all at the tops of their respective divisions we're like really big buyers this year because not not only are they thinking we can get the heck out of we can make it to the conference finals because we're the biggest baddest team in this division but they know their enemy they know who they're going to be playing in that first round you know what i mean like it's not like where you have like two teams playing in the first round and they don't play each other as often as usual does that make sense yeah, it makes perfect sense. So I, I like this because I feel like, you know, you play a team eight times a year, you really know that team. And now you're going to face them in the first round of the playoffs. And as a kid, I'd get sick of that. I'd be like, oh, man, Blackhawks are playing the Red Wings again. Didn't we just see these guys eight freaking times this year? But now it's like as just somebody who gets hockey a little bit better than I did when I was 14 or 15. It's like you really get to know that other team. When you start thinking about how you could beat that team or if you beat them a bunch of times and you think maybe you have their number. So I find it fascinating that Toronto's like, heck, yeah, we're going to make it to the conference finals. Let's get us uh, Nick Foligno, right? Because that's just going to help us. And that's the other thing, too, is that, like, you have teams buying these rental players because one team from Canada is going to make it to the conference finals this year. It's going to happen, and it's only happening because of this contrived situation. But it's still just great that one team from Canada is going to make it to the conference finals. Canada has a one in four chance now. Well, not really, but you know what I mean, of winning the Stanley Cup. Yep. Statistically, they do. And we don't know how long that the season is going to get extended to. They keep postponing games like they did with the Canucks, like they did with the Stars, and then they're adding more games to the end of the season so that even though the trade deadline is now, the end of the regular season keeps moving 
further and further away. So you get to have these players a little bit longer than like two weeks before the playoffs and then the playoffs and then that's it, right? Because the season's lasting longer. Yeah. And that's the thing. You hope to get past all of this and not have to postpone and and push things further and further and further. But it is what it is. I mean, if we're playing hockey in July, then maybe we'll be playing hockey in July. (laughs) I hope not. Hey, I wouldn't complain. Well, but I'm we, weird like we see, yeah, and, and fine. I'd like, I wish I could watch hockey all year long, but logistically, you get to that point where, okay, well, it's 95 degrees outside, and we have to maintain an ice surface in here where we only maintain it during 70 degrees and less. Right. I get it. And so it becomes sloppy hockey. And we've seen yeah. that. We've seen that many times. You see it all the time in like the winter classics and the outdoor things where, you know, you get in a warmer climate and you put in an ice rink. Okay. Ice isn't supposed to be meant with sun beating down on it. So, you know, it makes things difficult and you get into that point. But I mean, to your point, yeah, I mean, we have to adapt. So that's what they've been trying to do. And and you're right. All these teams that are looking to compete and and think they have a good chance of winning something this year for the most part have all gone have gone all in i mean the bruins made some big moves the biggest move we could argue maybe okay and and the reason why i say maybe is did they pick the most notable name off of the board yes they did taylor hall goes from the sabers the lowly lowly sabers who've actually been playing good lately but well, you lose goes 18 from the games in a row, you're going to eventually, law of averages, you're going to yeah. win a couple. <laughs> blind, blind squirrel gets a nut once in a while. Right. So Taylor Hall goes from the Sabres to the Bruins. I've been looking at this going up into trade deadline. I've been looking at the different teams, and there's been rumors of so many different teams, the Islanders, the Penguins, you know, one of the, maybe possibly one of the Canadian teams. There's been so many rumors about where he's going to go and where he would fit in and honestly i always kept going back to the boston because i don't think he fits in with any of these other teams i think boston he does for some reason just some weird reason i think that he does fit in and i think if they put him on a line with Krejci, you may see his production go up maybe not to a you know heart trophy year taylor hall but I think you'll at least see some points start to be racked up, unlike he's been playing up to at this point. And that's probably part of the reason why his stock somewhat fell. I mean, the case has been made by a lot of people that, well, you know, who do you go after? You go after the best player on the board. Well, yeah, but if you don't have the money to pay him to take on all that extra, and yeah, the Sabres are eating a bunch of his salary in order to make this happen. But at the same time, do you want to pay... Uh, this guy to come on for the unsure nature of what you're going to get on the back end. And if you look at his production thus far this season, it just hasn't been there. And you look at some of these other trades that went down and you're like, we're getting a first round pick for Anthony Mantha plus other considerations. Taylor Hall didn't garner a first round pick. Nope. And, And granted there was a package deal here, but Curtis Lazar went too as part of the deal. So you got Hall and Lazar, which Lazar's just, here's extra fluff to throw in, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
And the Sabres are taking Anders Bjork and a second rounder. Mm-hmm. Okay, Anders Bjork for Curtis Lazar. Great. So essentially, Taylor Hall was the second rounder. Got of that deal. Not a first rounder, a second rounder. Which so, is surprising because I would think that the Sabres could have gotten a first rounder for Hall. I mean, he's. Well, I mean, look, Nick Foligno goes from Columbus to the Leafs for a first rounder and a fourth. Right. So you have Felino, who's. I'm not putting the two on the same offensive level by any means. Mm-hmm. I don't think Nick Felino has the explosive power and the sniping capability that Taylor Hall has. And I would never, for mm-hmm. one second, compare the two uh, from an offensive standpoint. But Nick Felino adds a ton of other things to a team. You know, you always talk about players that have character and players that have leadership and these kind of things. Those are important. Right. They really are important. And yeah, you can go after the big guy, go after the guy that can score the goals and go after the guy that can put up the points. But you also need guys like Felino. And they Leafs saw that and they see the, the worth. He can play anywhere. He could play on any line. He could play in any situation, in any part of the ice, you know, on special teams, on power play, whatever, wherever you need him to play. He has that capability and and the ability to adapt to that situation. Hall's not necessarily the same kind of player. Hall's that guy, you get him the puck and he's going to make something happen. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that Boston's been lacking has been goal scoring. Right. They got tons of grit. They just need more. uh... Sure. They don't need the sandpaper. They need no. guys that can put the puck in the net. And, you know, they've succumbed to a tons of injuries. What team has it? But they have. That's just the way things are. So putting Taylor Hall on that team, it seemed to make a lot of sense. And, and here we are. There he is. I'm not saying I predicted it, but it makes sense. He was going to go to sense. a contending team because he was only on a one-year contract. And so it had to be a team who thought that they were going to win now. Well, and it baffled me in the first place when he went to Buffalo. But it was I mean, a one-year show-me type of deal where he, what was it, like $8 million for the year? But you also have a guy that doesn't have team hardware. And a guy right. that was such a high draft pick and had such potential and story behind him to say that. I mean, people were saying that he was going to be that generational type player. When he came into the league. Yeah, I remember. And you watch hockey. Do you think that's panned out? I don't think it's panned out. I'm not taking anything away from him as a player. He's a great player. Is he a Crosby level player? Is he a McDavid level player? Is he a Matthews level player? No. Remember when Hall was traded from the Oilers for uh, Adam Larson? I do. And we thought. You wait, you mean Oliver Ekman Larson, right? Like that would be a trade that makes sense. Like a, a good defenseman. No, no, no. Adam Larson. Well, he's good too. But I was just like, wow, his trade value from a first round, first overall pick. We talked to, about that when at the time it had happened. Yeah, we talked about like, that in a podcast many you years got, ago. You've got Larson, a defenseman, who's a decent defenseman in his own right, but a young defenseman. Direct straight up for your number one pick. So I guess the moral of the story is, is that Taylor Hall is always undervalued when it comes to trade value. Like we always, we see him get traded and we go, wow, we thought the other team would get more for him than that. 
I mean, it seems to be the case. I mean, he goes to the Devils, he goes to Coyotes, he goes to Sabres. I mean, yeah, these weren't all trades, but right. I mean, it's like he's he's bouncing around, biding his time until he can find the right contender that he can get on and potentially get a cup to add to his resume. And I, he may have found it in Boston. So what else? We have uh, Jeff Carter going to Pittsburgh. Jeff Carter to the Penguins. This is this is a fun one. So okay. the, the Penguins give up two conditional picks to the Kings to get Jeff Carter. A third rounder in 2022 and a fourth rounder in 2023. Now, those are conditional picks for those of you that have no idea what that means. Essentially, you will get pick A if all of these things happen. If not, you will get pick B. And that's generally how a conditional pick works. So these conditional picks, the third rounder could become a second rounder and the fourth rounder could become a third rounder if he meets certain things. Some of those are if he plays the majority of games and the Penguins make it to the Stanley Cup finals, it'll bump up those picks. Uh, Or if he plays 50 games next season for the Penguins, those will bump up as well. So... That's the condition. But having Jeff Carter on the Penguins. Jeff Carter's names have been thrown through the ringer for the last few years. And the one thing that he is basically, I never heard him actually say it, but everybody has said that he said it. He never wanted to leave L.A. Like that was where he wanted to stay. So when I heard Jeff Carter to the Penguins, I was like, what? And I couldn't think in my right mind what they could have possibly offered to get him to agree to leave L.A. Because he hasn't thus far. I thought for sure Brian Burke was making a deal for Brian Getzloff. Mm -hmm. I was convinced that was going down. Because he's got the history there, right? And, you know, there's also the history of uh, Getzloff playing with Crosby numerous times in international play. So I thought for sure Getzy was coming to Pittsburgh. Nope. Jeff Carter, who also has some experience playing with Crosby. But, I mean, whatever they said, he was like, yeah, I'm on board. I'm all in. And I'm on my way. So, he, I guess he told Hextall that, how soon do you want me on a plane? Mm-hmm. It's basically how that went down. So, this is good for the Penguins for the simple fact that they've been dealing with injuries and the big one being uh, Evgeny Malkin. Malkin's been out. There's no telling when he's going to come back. Guess he started skating, but still there's no timeline. Carter's going to fill in. So think about this. When Malkin comes back, here's your top three lines. Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Jeff Carter. Those those are your top three centers on your your lines. Now, I I don't know about you, but I'll take that. (laughs) I mean... You know, Carter's not the the Carter of his prime, but he's also not, you know, dead and buried either. The guy can still score. He can still put up points. He can still play on power play. I mean, he's still a viable point producer. And being able to have that extra firepower going into the playoffs, knowing that, like, if the playoffs started today, You've got teams like the Capitals, the Islanders, and the Bruins that you're going to have to contend with. So you've got to have points. 
because, let's face it, the Penguins' goaltenders aren't the greatest goaltenders. So knowing that you're going to give up three or four every night, you've got to put in five or six in order to offset it. So, you know, maybe not Grant Fuhr level offset, but you, you get what I'm saying. Well, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, your the purpose is to score more goals than the other team. Oh. And the way the Penguins play, they're not going to win a one nothing game. I mean, they can win a one nothing game. It is possible, but that's not what I expect. I mean, when I tune into the Penguins and the Capitals, I want a 4-3-5-4-6-5 score. It's kind of what I expect. Well, people like to see goals scored. You know. Well, that's exciting, but different teams are built different ways to win. Like you said, the, the Penguins, they're not really centered around defense. And when you have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, and I know Malkin's hurt, but those are two very compelling reasons not to. Right. And I don't think they've had this kind of, you know, one, two, three punch in a while. I mean, definitely not since Kessel. And we know what happened last time. Right. So. Not saying that they're they're a shoe in for the cup, but this certainly does help their case. Let's put it that way. Well, one trade that I found interesting are trades because these, these were separate deals. But I thought it was interesting that the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning beefed up its defense because it's more or less the same team as they were last year when they won. So the fact that they added a couple of guys, you know, decent defensemen and David Savard and uh, Brian Lashoff, just like okay. Cool. You guys are also thinking all in, right? Like, we're good. We're as good as we were last year, but we're going to add a couple of decent defensemen for depth. Again, that was an interesting trade, and they're near the top. They're kind of tied with Carolina as per this recording. That's cool that they made, or it's interesting that they made a trade because they're, they didn't really have any real big personnel turnover. I mean, uh, I mean, they did lose Braden Coburn, one of their older depth defenseman who was on the cup winning team last year. And I was very happy for him. I just want to throw that out really quick because I remember when Coburn was in the Atlanta Thrashers organization, he had played for the Chicago Wolves for a number of years, you know, as part of his development before he got brought up to the Thrashers full time. So I remember him with the Chicago Wolves. And then I remember he had this really awesome commercial where he basically talks about all his injuries, but then he keeps saying, but I came back. He's like, you know, I hurt my knee and I lost 27 games, but I came back. Then I got hit in the cheek and had a fractured orbital bone, but I came back. And it's it was just one of those. I mean, I know we make fun of the Versus Network, but it was one of their clever commercials featuring Coburn of all of all people. So anyways, um, yeah. So getting back to that. So, yeah. So um, Tampa Bay ramping up their defense a little bit. Well, and here's another example of just. Not to pile on Taylor Hall or anything, but, mm-hmm. you know, David Savard, what did Tampa Bay give up? They gave up a first rounder and two other draft picks to get Savard. So Wait, now. You know, here's a team that's cash strapped, right? And is ha- and has cap issues as it stands, but is still smoking their division and is a favorite to win again this year doesn't really do much to change their line that much from where it was and is able to wheel and deal in, you know, David Savard, a 30-year-old defenseman, and he cost the first round and a couple extras. Yeah, Taylor Hart, former Hart winner, 
can't even get a first rounder. I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting how this stuff plays out. What teams are willing to give up and what teams can can maneuver and, and you know, pushing money from one side to the next. And, you know, it goes back to if you don't have the money, how are you supposed to make the trades? If you can't afford to pay a player to bring them on, where does the salary go? Well, you make these deals where teams retain salary or you buffer a, a middleman that can help loan you money and fund you money like the Sharks have been. Oh, yeah, that's the Janmark deal, right? Well, you have the the, Matthias Janmark deal that uh, Chicago made with the Golden Knights. And essentially, you get Chicago trading Janmark to San Jose for defensemen, Nick DeSimone. San Jose trades Janmark to Vegas. They get a pick in return that Vegas had already gotten from Buffalo. I think it was a fifth rounder. Then Chicago then trades DeSimone and a fifth rounder to Vegas for Vegas' second round pick in 2021 and an additional third round pick in 2022. So eventually, Yenmark ends up on the Knights. The Blackhawks end up with two picks. And San Jose ends up with a pick and a bunch of the money that they have to pay for the salary of Yanmark in order to make this whole trade work. But they can because they they aren't in cap trouble. So they have extra money. So they retain that in order to move and facilitate this whole thing that, that went around. It's probably the most complicated trade all day. Yeah. And I would think they'd get a little bit more for um, retaining that salary than the pick that they got. But okay. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, you're just acting as acting as middleman like here's your finder's fee <laughs> it's one right of those kind of things so yeah i yeah hawks, it's, the hawks were pretty busy today with, I, they made the like six made. six trades today or they moved like six people or six players and then they made some trades last week and i swear it just seems like they trade guys just to trade guys and this is why i'm so frustrated as a black hawks fan Maybe I'm just starting to like the players whose names I'm starting to recognize. Like, oh, yeah, Matthew Highmore. He's been around for a couple of years. I know who he is, you know, and then they trade him. You know what I mean? And it just seems like they get a guy. He's in for a little while. You start to like him, and then they trade him. And then I just go, why? Like, why do you keep trading these guys away? And, like, I mean, I was watching NHL Network. Oh, and I just want to say this really quick. I thought it was really smooth that upper deck had its ads everywhere on the NHL network on uh, their show. Was it on the fly? But uh, they were talking about the trades. And so every time they mentioned trades, they had the upper deck logo in the corner of the screen. And then when they were talking about trades, they had the upper deck logo behind them. And, you know, trading cards, trades makes sense. I like it. I just thought it was a nice little, they didn't say like this trade sponsored by upper deck, but I just thought trading cards, sponsoring the trade episode of that show was clever well and they do the unwrap segments too yeah i know yeah. that but i mean I and just... they're 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 pretty upper decks all over the nhl network now anybody that watches it is probably actually sick of the epac commercial because it's on every five minutes hey i like hockey cards and anything that makes it a little more mainstream in my eyes is cool or anything that makes it more mainstream is cool in my eyes, meaning like, you know, if it raises the profile of hockey card collecting, you know, that's, that's, no, okay. I'm not knocking it. I'm just, no, saying I know, it's, I know. it's like all over. So they, they've gone all in on that, which is good. 
So. But the, the Blackhawks, they traded away a lot of guys. I mean, they traded Soderberg, who they signed before the start of the season. They traded yeah, Soderberg gets to go Yadmar. back to Colorado. And you mentioned Highmore already, who they got Adam Gaudet from the Canucks for. And I guess it's just like, for a little while, the Blackhawks were looking like a good team. They were winning. They looked like they were starting to gel. And I said to myself, all right, they're not going to win it all this year, but they're on to something. They're on to something. You know, Patrick Kane and Alex DeBrinkett are clicking and they look good together. They look good together as a pair. I mean, not since Kane was on a line with Artemi Panarin. I mean, that was a pair. That was like, wow. And then they got rid of Breadman. And now I'm looking at uh, Kane and the cat. And I'm like, yeah, these two have a nice chemistry together. I want to see that continue to develop. And it is, and it will. But I guess the thing is, is that the team looked like it was starting to get its act together. And I'm thinking, you know, I mean, a couple of years when you have guys like Doc and Kuba Leak and Doc's back in the lineup now, right? Yes, he is. Uh, and actually, he's been doing pretty well with uh, uh, Vinny Hinestroza. Well, they also picked up. Yeah, they picked up Vinny Hinestroza last week. And nice to see him back. It's great to have a Chicago guy back in Chicago. I'm, I'm happy for him. I was well, they got him for next to nothing, right? It was like Brad Morrison, and that was it, straight yeah. up. Sometimes that's okay. I mean, he wasn't playing under Joel Quenville, and... We don't know why, because, well, we don't know why, but, like, he has potential, but it had yeah, potential. You, you know how that goes. Yeah. Have, having that. Coach Q as a coach, if you get on his bad side for whatever reason, you don't play. <laughs> That's just the way it is. I feel like I'd rather be on John Tortorella's bad side than Joel Quenville's bad side. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, because I think uh, Quenville carries over. Um, I think Tortorella, even though... I'd rather have Coach Q as a coach overall. I think Tortorella like makes a statement to you now, and then the next game it's like, okay, let's forget about it. Get out there and do what you're supposed to do. Right. I think Coach Q carries that over a little longer than, than maybe. Quenville could. says nothing, and, and you don't know why, and, and you're in the doghouse, and, and Tortorella will at least yell at you and let you know why you're in the doghouse, but then he won't maybe hold the grudge like five games later or five days yeah. later or the next night even. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't know the guy, and I've never played for the guy, so I couldn't really speak firsthand. But that's, the impression, that's the impression I get. Well, that's all we can do as outside observers is, is, yeah. is get these impressions. Yeah, so I, I don't get the Blackhawks making all these trades, but whatever. They picked up prospects. They picked up picks. They're going to have a lot of picks. Well, that's like I was fine. telling you earlier before we jumped on here, I think everybody that they acquired back in December, they've now dumped. Yes. So, because I think one of the last trades of the day was Madison Bowie, from, who they had gotten originally from the, the Capitals, I think, and... They traded him to the Canucks, too. But we played two games with the Rockford Icehawks, two games with the Blackhawks, got one assist in those two games, and war number 29, and that's the extent of his Blackhawk career. You know, in five years, I'm going to write one of those forgotten Blackhawk articles about Madison Bowie. I'm pretty sure he was on the Capitals Cup team. But what about, and another one I want to talk about is um, the Islanders. Okay, so the Islanders picked up, that's where Braden Coburn ended up going. Not that that matters because he's a 36-year-old depth defenseman, but I like him because I feel fond of him because he used to play for the Chicago Wolves. But then the Islanders picking up Travis Zajac and Kyle Palmieri 
from the Devils. That's Lou Lamorello saying, we're going to win the cup this year. We better win the cup this year. We are in. Like, we are in with both feet in. Yeah, it's interesting that pretty much every, well, everything the Islanders did was pre-deadline. Like, they did all this yeah, ahead of time. The okay. Coburn trade was yesterday. Yep. And the uh, the Zajac and Paul Mary thing was, like, what, five days ago? The April 7th, ago? Yeah. 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 So, I, I, think, I think that's huge. I mean, the Islanders have been talking about going all in, like, pretty much every year. And... Now they're they have a legit chance here. I think with the way they've been playing and bringing in players like Paul Mary and Zajac. I mean, granted they're older players, you know, thirty and thirty five, but you know, considering the what they gave up. I mean, there was a first round pick in twenty twenty one and a conditional fourth, and they gave up two depth forwards that uh, AJ Greer guy and uh, somebody else. I don't remember his name. Mason something. Mason. Uh, Mason Jobst. Is that how you say his name? J-O-B-S-T. Yeah. So it's like, here's two fairly known players, right? Paul with Paul Mary and Zajac. And the Devils even got, you have to keep 50% of their salaries for both players to make this whole thing work. Wow. And um, I think Paul Mary was in the lineup the other night and scored a goal, like his first night on the team. So it's kind of crazy. I mean, look, losing Anders Lee was horrible for the team. I mean, here's your team captain. You know, guy goes down with a knee injury. How do you replace that? Well, you got to find some veteran winger. And I, I couldn't see them doing any better than that to, and stay under the cap. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, again, I'm not crowning them and giving them the cup by any means, but. It definitely improves their chances. And, I mean, the Islanders are, as of this recording, they're tied with the Capitals. They're So you got, you know, the, Capital, the Capitals, the Islanders, the Penguins, and the Bruins are, you know, the top four teams in the Mass Mutual East. I mean, all four of those teams made improvements to their lineup kind of like the we're all in with both feet gonna hell yeah we're gonna do this thing kind of trades well and that's the thing the capitals and the islanders from a point standpoint they're tied yep and you've got the penguins that are only two points behind them yep and then you got boston who's eight yeah they were like eight behind but here's the thing you're throwing points on their team like you're throwing a sniper onto their team that's going to put up points. And he's going to put up points on the line that he's on. And the only thing Boston can do now is get healthy. So you get a couple slumps here and there between one of those three teams in front of them. You might level the playing field between the four of them. Well, and come playoff times, that all kind of goes out the window a little bit. I mean, yeah, you want to have your better player, your 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 good players healthy again. But what I'm saying is that, I mean... The Bruins are a team that can, if somebody's going to pull a first round upset, if if the Bruins are the four seed and I was the one seed, I'd still be worried about them. This isn't like playing the Hartford Whalers back in the 90s when you knew that you were going to beat that team. Remember back in the day, you'd have like, you know, it would be like the Bruins versus the Whalers or the Canadians versus the Whalers. And you just knew what was going to happen. You know what I mean? Like you just knew 
teams were a lot more imbalanced back then because there was no salary cap. Sure. But I mean, I don't think you can discount the Bruins just be, even if they're the fourth seed, you can't discount them as like going to be an easy team to beat. No, I and don't. Even, and look even at the more look, so now. Well, you yeah, look at the amount of games played. I mean, they're still three, four games behind everybody else too. So, you know, and that's another thing I wanted to bring up. Like, this is another reason why this has got to be the all in season. If you think of an 82 NHL game season, plus all the rounds of the playoffs, that is a lot of games. That is a lot of where, on your players and you're looking at this now it's a 48 game season so it's it's a little more than half right the haters are going to say oh it's only half a season and they didn't play a full season you want to know something the Blackhawks won in 2013 yeah it was like a 48 game season I don't see it as a 48 game season I see it as the Stanley Cup championship they were the best team in the playoffs right everybody played a 48 game season right correct so I'm thinking like if this year is like only half a season, I mean, again, this is like, this is, this is a good year to be the all in like, yeah, screw it. Let's do it. Let's give up a first round pick and a second round pick and get that player that we think, or those players that we think are going to make a difference because we're not playing the 82 game season. We're only playing half that. And so like if our players are healthy, they are going to be more energetic because they're not at the end of, you know, 82 games plus seven round, seven games and maybe another seven game, you know, in the, the multiple playoff series. I mean, I know the playoffs are still going to be seven game series, but yeah, just uh, uh, just another observation that you, you have the shortened season. And I think a lot can come from that or a lot of opportunity can come from playing less games. You know, your goalies are not going to be as tired, although their teams are playing no. every other game. So it's 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 still hard on them in a different way. I think one thing we've seen is goalies need to play. And that was never more evident than in the first month of the season, because mm-hmm. even the best goalies in the league looked. Not so hot the first month of the season <laughs> because they didn't have any of that preparation or any of the training building up to the year. So, oh. um, you know, I think playing consecutive games and consecutive nights is good for goaltending. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they do. They need rest at some point. Yes. But I think playing consecutively helps. And the fact that they're doing chunks, you know, a game tonight, skip a day, a game the next day, skip a day, name the next day. And it's all against the same teams back to back to back. I think it makes it a little more work, you know, mm-hmm. not that the players decompress on the airplanes and get the extra day for travel and all of that kind of stuff. Because I know that there's plenty of stress and other things involved with all of that too, but still, you know, you're going to be in one place for this little bit of time and it's going to be a battle against a division rival every single night. So, I mean, let's face it. It's almost like, Playoff hockey every day. Mm-hmm. So every every one of these points counts because, as you can see by the standings, I mean, there's not many points that separate the top few teams. So just a couple other trades I'm just going to throw out really quick. So the uh, Maple Leafs acquired goaltender uh, David Riddich for a 2022 third-round pick. Interesting that they're just adding another goalie. I mean, Jack Campbell is been playing lights out and i mean they of course they have freddie anderson who's 
who's on the mend. But Riddick also- is a very serviceable backup, and yeah. he's yeah, he's, and then he's insurance. Let's put it that way. Because oh yeah, nobody oh, believes in Freddie Anderson. So well, and then um, the Sharks unloaded uh, Devin Dubnik to the Avalanche. Yeah, and that's kind of another insurance one because you got to figure Grubauer's playing good, but they got that young guy as their backup, that Johansson, mm-hmm. who's been playing great. I mean, he's like three zero and one in his last four starts, mm-hmm. but you know he doesn't have the experience putting Dubnik there who's got like a hundred years of experience mm-hmm. you know that might be a training tool back to those big trade I think we agree that the biggest trades here were the Taylor Hall the Felino yep. the Jeff the Jeff Carter trade yep. um and then probably that the Islanders bringing in the former devils there but um it's interesting, you you know, you go you go across and you look at all this, and every year there's always like, who's the biggest guy? Who's the biggest name out there? And I always think of it in terms of, okay, how does this affect the hobby? You know, how does this affect card collecting? You know, does this change anything for this player moving from this team to this team, or does this change anything moving from this team to this team? And I always try to kind of look at what's out there. And, and you think about Taylor Hall, and we've already said, you know, top pick in 2010, him and that was the whole Taylor Tyler thing with him and mm-hmm. Tyler Sagan, which you pointed out already that now Boston has had both of them. You know, look at Taylor Hall's like Young Guns, for instance. Those those sell in the fifty to eighty dollar range most of the time. You know, it just depends on obviously condition and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, in a fifty to eighty dollar range. Okay, here's a guy that was a top pick for Edmonton, went to New Jersey, went to Phoenix, went to Buffalo. Now he's going to Boston. So here he is now on a original six team with the kind of exposure that you get in Boston. Do you think that's going to maybe put some heat on that card? I think so. You know, when you go to the Bruins, an original six team, a high profile team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, more popular than the Devils. I mean, it was funny because, like, when he was on Edmonton, everybody was high on him for a little while when he was that first pick. His rookie year, I bought a box of Series 1. I got a Taylor Hall Young Gun, and I got the Taylor Hall Exclusives Young Gun, numbered to 100. And, of course, I tried to trade it, and everybody was like, oh, I'll give you a package deal for it. And I was like, no, I want a big card. Give me one big card for this big card. One big card for one big card. I don't want 10,000 nickel cards. You know what I mean? That's, that's, I don't want that, right? Like, so I just held on to it. Then finally, I was able, many years later, when he got traded to the Devils, I was able to trade my Taylor Hall exclusives for a Steve Stamkos young gun. Not the exclusive young gun, just the regular young gun. And you know what? I was okay with that. Because at that time, a Stamkos Young Gun was over $100. And I was just like, yeah, that's fine. Then I don't have to spend 100 ish dollars on a, a Stamkos Young Gun. So, like, you know, the card was hard to trade when he was on Edmonton, even though Edmonton's a storied franchise and whatnot. With the Devils, it was a little, you know, found the right person who's like, you know, a Devils collector. 
And I bet now, I mean, with the Bruins, if I still had that card and if he did really good with the Bruins, yeah, somebody would want that card. It's like my biggest complaint on Twitter right now is that there's too many Blackhawk collectors. Because somebody the same be thing like, with Pittsburgh. Because somebody will be like, hey, I have this uh, I have this Dominic Kubalik rookie card for trade. And like four people will be like, oh, I'll trade you for it. I'm like, well, everybody's a Blackhawks fan now, right? There's a lot of them. There's yeah. a lot of Peng- there's a lot of Penguins fans too. Oh, which, I get it. Which, which made me wonder if uh, Jeff Carter's cards were going to take off. Now those are nowhere near fifty to eighty bucks. Because Carter came out in what oh five oh six. Oh five oh six. Yeah, so he was in the same rookie class as the Crosby, the double crop. I and... probably have five of his victory or MVP rookies because I would just pull them out of quarter boxes back then. Yeah, and I think his young gun. I don't think his young gun sells for more than eight or ten bucks. It's probably a lot less. I would say in the four or five range in most cases. But he does have the distinction of being on the checklist with Ovechkin that year. So that might be an interesting card if if you don't already have that. And Nick Felino, I forgot Felino even had a young gun. It was in 07, 08. And he was on the Ottawa Senators. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, that one you can find. That one's all over the board. I was looking up prices for it right now, and it's just it's all over the place. There was one sold for two bucks, three bucks, five bucks, six bucks. Then there were some that sold in the twenty-five range. So it's kind of crazy where that one, where that one resides right now. But I think, from a hobby standpoint, the two players that are going to benefit the most, I think, are going to be Felino and Hall. Well, and you know, the other thing I'll say is that when I traded away my Taylor Hall Young Gun exclusives, the person who I traded it to said, well, I have two cards you might be interested in, and I'd be willing to trade one of them, either a John Tavares young gun or a Steven Stamkos young gun. And at the time, Tavares was on the Islanders, and his young gun was like a 60 or $70 card. And I said, eh, I'm going to go after the Stamkos because that was more of a $100 card. And I figured I'd be able to buy a Tavares young gun for 60 or $70. Well, sooner or later, then he goes to Toronto, and then the card just... <laughs> skyrockets because now everybody wants John Tavares young gun because he's on the right team when he was on yep. the Islanders eh, you know yeah he's a good player and he's his card is going to be up there but nowhere near like when he went to Toronto just that effect that it has right and that's a big thing the market the market exposures is huge and players like that on our a original six teams and b in major markets like a Boston or Toronto or New York for instance I mean I think that's one of the big reasons why Lafreniere was like he was. There's a lot of hype, and he's in New York. He's front and center. He's playing in MSG. I mean, what more could you ask for from that from that standpoint? So, you know, if the number one pick would have been by the Arizona Coyotes, right? I, I don't think you would see that much hobby interest. Not that there's anything wrong with being a Coyotes fan, but I'm just saying. From a hobby standpoint, they don't get the exposure and they don't get the press. All right, well, I think we need to wrap up this episode because it's longer than a Mighty Ducks movie. Yeah, but it's way more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Less flying V, but more uh, more talk about cards. 
So, okay, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed this show, please like and subscribe. Please tell people that you know. Consider supporting this show by buying a t-shirt at shop.puckjunk.com. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk. 